Eco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Good morning and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm David Lyman. And I'm Juliana Daly. The town of Ellettsville is increasing its storm water fees to help pay for projects that could eventually address the town's flooding problems. In a meeting last week, council members voted to increase storm water fees by approximately $1 per month for an average household. Council member Brian Mobley says town officials are hoping to work with the Department of Natural Resources on projects to reduce flooding. Right now, our stormwater is low. We don't have enough capital to start these projects. And we have about three projects we'd like to start with it. And then that would help reduce the flooding in downtown. Um, It's not a whole lot of money. What it generates is about $41,000 a year. So, you know, it would take some process. It'll take some time to uh, get surveys, things like that, before we could even dig in the dirt. Flooding has been a major problem in downtown Ellettsville as recently as last month. The cost of the new fee will be based on the amount of impervious surface on given property. Properties with larger areas of pavement or other impervious surfaces will be charged more than the average of a dollar a month. Council member Scott Thomas says the proposed stormwater fee increase is needed for the town to plan for the future. As we go forward and more roofs are put up and more asphalt's put down, unless we are planning for the future and having funds to remedy the flooding, I I see us running into problems if we're not prepared for it to be able to uh, do some projects to prevent that. Council members Thomas Mobley and Kevin Ferris approved the fee increase. Council President Scott Ullman was absent. Earlier this month, the City of Bloomington Parks and Recreation and Utilities Department, along with Monroe County Parks and Recreation, were given an award for their Adopt-the-Stream program. The departments received the award at the Indiana MS4, or Municipal Separate Storm Sewer Systems, partnership annual meeting. The program was selected for the Outstanding Special Event as a Partnership Award. The Adopt-A-Stream program is an all-volunteer program that ensures the conservation and maintenance of public streams. Volunteers inspect and observe an adopted section of a stream on a monthly basis. They also remove trash, perform annual stream maintenance, report unusual or suspicious activities around the stream, and submit monthly reports. Christy Lindbergh, a stormwater education specialist with the Bloomington Utilities Department, said, quote, Adopt-A-Stream is a mutually beneficial collaboration that brings together city and county environmental protection goals. The program directly benefits our streams, raises awareness about water quality, and develops a sense of ownership for streams that run through our community, unquote. 
Meanwhile, at the national level, the health of streams and waterways is under threat. On Friday, May 26, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill that would reverse an EPA requirement to obtain a permit before spraying, spraying pesticides on or near waterways. Passage of the bill, H.R. 953, the Reducing Regulatory Burdens Act is the latest in a multi-year string of attempts to roll back common-sense protections for the public waterways all Americans use for swimming, fishing, and other forms of recreation. The bill is now on its way to the Senate. H.R. 953 would undermine federal authority to protect U.S. waters under the Clean Water Act. It would allow the spraying of toxic chemicals into waterways without local or state oversight. The chemicals in question contaminate drinking water sources and harm aquatic life. Currently, nearly 2,000 U.S. waterways are impaired by pesticide contamination. If signed into law, the bill would reverse a circuit court decision stating that pesticides applied to waterways should be considered pollutants under federal law. And in the Senate last week, protesters disrupted an energy committee hearing on President Trump's nominees for Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, pronounced FERC. Protesters declared the commission a rubber stamp for the fossil fuel industry. Security dragged a woman from the hearing as she yelled, quote, FERC hurts families, shut FERC down, unquote. Another activist tied himself to his chair. FERC oversees the permitting process for fracked gas pipelines and other fossil fuel industry infrastructure. The activists represented a coalition of over 160 organizations opposing Trump's nominees to the agency. The group cited FERC's record of ignoring and dismissing community and climate concerns when reviewing industry permits and said they expected the situation to worsen under Trump. One of the four activists arrested accused FERC of being an arm of the oil and gas industries. Business as usual is unacceptable, the activists said until an agency dedicated to transitioning to localized renewable energy replaces FERC. Violations of the rights of water protectors and activists opposing the Dakota Access Pipeline have been widely reported. Now, according to documents leaked to The Intercept, a shadowy international mercenary and security firm called Tiger Swan used military-type counterterrorism to measures to target the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and allies fighting the Dakota Access Pipeline. The company collaborated closely with local, state, and federal law enforcement in North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, and Texas, and worked at the request of Energy Transfer Partners, the Fortune 500 company building the pipeline. Internal Tiger Swan papers describe the movement against the pipeline as, quote, an ideal ideologically driven insurgency with a strong religious component, unquote, and compare the indigenous-led protesters to jihadist fighters. The leaked documents, plus over 1,000 obtained through public records, requests show that Tiger Swan ran a multifaceted private security operation that included massive and invasive surveillance to hinder the protesters. The most recent Tiger Swan reports concentrate on the threat of growing activism surrounding other pipeline projects around the country. 
Plans for a petrochemical pipeline yet in the works has just been released. That's right, Juliana. If the American Chemistry Council, or ACC, the main chemical industry trade and lobbying association, gets its way, four states in Appalachia will become petrochemical supply and manufacturing hub large enough to rival centers of this industry on the U.S. Gulf Coast. The ACC is envisioning underground cavern storage facilities and a 500-mile-long pipeline transporting ethane, propane, ethylene, and propylene along an arc from Monaca, Pennsylvania to Catlettsburg, Kentucky, with a spur serving the Charleston, West Virginia area. The ACC imagines the construction of five large ethylene crackers or gas refining plants in the Ohio River Valley. Chemical manufacturers would invest almost $36 billion in the venture, which would include projects for polyethylene, other derivatives, and propane dehydrogenation. Thus far, the only definite project is Shell's cracker and polyethylene plant in Monica. Another company is considering a second cracker in Mead Township, Ohio, but hasn't yet begun the construction. In climate change news this week, we have a regional environmental puzzle. Where have all the grouse gone? At one time, grouse were common across Indiana. In 1983, 41 counties had notable populations of ruffed grouse. Since 1983, however, Indiana has lost over 95% of its ruffed grouse population. Today's annual grouse harvest is fewer than 500 birds, a 98% decrease from the peak years of the early 1980s. Why? The state of Indiana has favored one explanation, that ruffed grouse prefer early succession habitat, in other words, young trees. The Indiana DNR has frequently justified logging in state forests with claims that mature trees are not attractive to the ruffed grouse. The logging rate increased from 2 million board feet annually under Governors Frank O'Bannon and Joe Kernan to over 12 million board feet annually under Governors Mitch Daniels and Mike Pence. Logging is reasoned to remove mature trees and provide the new growth grouse need. Unfortunately, after years of extensive cutting, the grouse population has continued to decline. Now it is said that the lack of population growth could be due to wild turkeys laying eggs in grouse nests or by predation by raccoons. There is another explanation that should be added to the mix, climate change. If you Google ruffed grouse climate change, you will discover an Audubon, Audubon website that shows the grouse have largely moved north out of Indiana and will be gone completely in a few years. There are a few grouse now residing anywhere. There are a there are few grouse now residing anywhere south of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Ironically, by deforesting Indiana's protected lands, the DNR is adding to climate change and driving the rough grouse from the state. Finally, concerned consumers would do well to pay attention to an unusual ocean fish, the lionfish. If you've ever snorkeled in the Caribbean, you've probably spotted the lionfish. It's beautiful in an aquarium, but deadly in the ocean. Native to tropical waters in the South Pacific and Indian Oceans, the fish have become a massive problem in the Atlantic Ocean, where they have been invading since 1985. In 2004, lionfish sightings were reported in the coral reef environment in the Bahamas. 
At the time, researchers believed that lionfish were limited to just a few isolated sites. Now, according to Lad Akins of the Reef Environmental Education Foundation, the invasion has gotten exponentially worse. Lionfish grow up to a foot in length and are known to consume more than 70 species of fish and many invertebrates. They are capable of eating prey up to half of their body length. Areas that are heavily invaded with lionfish have experienced fish population reductions of more than 90%. Lionfish were the first exotic fish to invade the coral reefs in the Bahamas and have hurt the reef ecosystem by eating or starving out native species. This depletion was was hurt, has hurt commercial fishing industries and local economies that depend on it. And the invasion continues to worsen. Lionfish have been spotted as far up the coast as of the United States as Rhode Island. One good thing about the lionfish is that it tastes good. The recommendation from environmentalists is that we eat as many lionfish as possible. Experts agree that we can never eat all of them in the western Atlantic, but the more the better. A note, the fish are not easy to harvest commercially. They cannot be caught on hook and line or netted. They must be speared. No Indiana restaurants are known to serve lionfish currently, but the species is widely available in restaurants in the Caribbean and in several states along the U.S. coast. Please encourage seafood restaurants to start making lionfish available on their menus. Responsible fish consumption is just one among many actions that concerned citizens can take that should impact our environment for the better. For more ideas, watch out this Monday, June 5th, for news of the celebrations and actions coinciding World Environment Day 2017, hashtag with nature. World Environment Day was founded by the United Nations Environment Program, and this year's host is the country of Canada under the theme Connecting People to Nature. People around the world are encouraged to get outdoors, explore public lands and trust, and appreciate the beauty and fragility of natural areas that need protection. That's the news for this week. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm David Lyman. We love to hear from our listeners. Contact us about stories we've aired or if you have ideas for future stories. Please send emails to earth at wfhb.org. In today's Eco Report feature, correspondent Norm Holy speaks with Ann Laker from the Indiana Forest Alliance. The Alliance was involved in lobbying for the preservation of the Crown Hill Woods, an old growth forest in Indianapolis. The Alliance recently announced the woods will not be cleared, at least not for the time being. This is Norm Holy for WFHB, and today I'm interviewing Ann Laker. She's the Director of Communications for the Indiana Forest Alliance, and she's going to be speaking to us about uh, the temporary, at least, agreement in terms of the outcome of the Crown Hill uh, Cemetery issue. So, Anne, um, would you describe for us the, the current status of that property? Thank you for having me, Norm. Um, Crown Hill Cemetery is a national cemetery located in Indianapolis, and we learned earlier this month of a land swap in which the Veterans Administration had purchased from Crown Hill, at Crown Hill's encouragement, a beautiful stand of old-growth forest. 
And the, when the community learned of this, um, they were very unhappy, including many veterans. So after six months of speaking out to our elected officials, including our federal delegation, Senator Donnelly, for example, as well as the mayor of Indianapolis, the Veterans Administration was moved to step back and, and ask Crown Hill if there was any other land in the cemetery that could be obtained. And what do you know? There was some other land. So now the old growth forest, and it's 15 acres and includes, you know, some incredible bur oaks and um, northern red oaks that are, you know, two, three hundred years old. This parcel is now back in the hands of Crown Hill Cemetery. I mean, it's got to be a fairly unique uh, situation in terms of a, a mature woodland within essentially the downtown area of a major city. So it you know, has to be pretty unique in, in America now. Uh, what was Donnelly's role? I, I noticed that he seemed to play a fairly major role in this. What, what, was he, what did he do behind the scenes? Behind the scenes, he and Representative Andre Carson, the letter that they had drafted to the head of the Veterans Administration, his name was David Shulkin, he was appointed by Trump. He's new on the job, and I guess when he heard um, the senator and the representative admonish him uh, for wanting to destroy a forest to build something that could probably be built elsewhere, he responded. So Donnelly, although he wasn't speaking publicly, he did not want to appear to be against veterans. Of course, no one does, and no one is against veterans. That's fantastic. What was Hogsett's role in in this whole matter? Because I, I know, you know, this campaign went on for a long time, and it looked like it wasn't really going to succeed at all. So I think it was when you know when when the political heavyweights got got behind it that. Uh, it was accomplished. So what was Hogsett's role in this? Well, like Carson and Donnelly, Hogsett received hundreds of calls, emails, letters from school children that IFA uh, and its partners helped to generate. So he was getting pressure, plenty of pressure. Ultimately, um, he agreed to, uh, to make a public statement that these woods should be preserved. You have to be congratulated for your patience and insistence on this outcome. So, you know, the, the uh, Forest Alliance has really played a really key role in, uh, you know, helping to save this portion of the, our old trees. Now, this is a temporary uh, situation. Uh, is there something we can do permanently that will set it aside, basically, so that it can never be logged? Oh, so now that the land is back in the hands of Crown Hill, no has been not once, twice, ten years ago as well, tried to, to sell it off. Um, we're going to pressure the board of Crown Hill, the leadership there, and we're going to ask Mayor Hogsett to make good on his, his promise or his comment. So the great news is, credible trust that has expressed interest to Crown Hill in purchasing the land and donating it back to the city as a nature park. So what what kind of a price would that property cost for a sale? 
I believe that the value is several million dollars. Do you know what the uh, VA paid for that? I'm, or I guess that was already part of... The, the VA paid uh, less than a million for the 15-acre parcel, uh, with, which contains the old-growth forest. So, I mean, if they've offered it, then what are the issues that remain? We're not sure. We need to uh, we need to keep trying to dialogue with Crown Hill and, and invite civic leaders who have influence to dialogue with Crown Hill. I'd just like to um, shift to a different matter. I'm just curious about the logging rate in the state forests under Holcomb's administration. Is it basically the continuation of what Pence did? We haven't gotten any direct indication of a change in policy under Holcomb. However, um, we were told recently that this year the Division of Forestry is going to be logging less. I think it's because of some drought and so on that it's not able to log as much as they have been doing. EcoReport is currently seeking volunteer journalists to contribute short weekly headlines about ecological issues from indigenous resistance to infrastructure projects to climate change and biological diversity. Commitment is light, and you can set your own schedule. For more information, email us at earth at wfhb.org or call 812-323-1200. It's time now for In Nature a segment focusing on the flora and fauna of south-central Indiana. This is In Nature. Early in the morning, one might hear the morning dove which is also called the turtle dove or the American morning dove or rain dove and formerly was known as the Carolina pigeon or Carolina turtle dove. It is one of the most abundant and widespread of all North American birds. It is also the leading game bird with more than 20 million birds, up to 70 million in some years, shot annually in the U.S. both for sport and meat. Its ability to sustain its population under such pressure stems from its prolific breeding in warm areas, one pair may raise up to six broods per year. The wings can make an unusual whistling sound upon takeoff and landing. The bird is a strong flyer capable of speeds up to 55 miles per hour. Morning doves are light gray and brown and generally muted in color. Males and females are similar in appearance. The Species is generally monogamous, with two squabs, young, per brood. Both parents incubate and care for the young. The morning dove occupies a wide variety of open and semi-open habitats, such as urban areas, farms, prairie, grassland, and lightly wooded areas. The morning dove. been listening to In Nature. And now for our weekly events calendar. 
Learn about the geologic history of Indiana limestone on a guided tour of the State House Quarry and McCormick's Creek State Park with Dr. Todd Thompson, State Geologist and Director of the Indiana Geological Society, on Saturday, June 3rd, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Meet at the CCC Recreation Building. Reservations are required. Email the Indiana Geology Survey to register at PRUT, that's P-R-O-O-T, at indiana.edu. Banding and a bird walk will take place at the Mary Gray Bird Sanctuary, located at 3499 South Bird Road in Connersville, Indiana, on Saturday, June 3rd, from 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. Banding will begin at sunrise when the nets will go up. From 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., you will walk the net lanes and enjoy the birds. Contact Mary Wilms at 765-309-2958 or through email at wilmsab at indianaaudubon.org. Grab your binoculars and join Indiana's Department of Natural Resources non-game bird biologists and friends of Goose Pond to view nesting least terns at Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area on Thursday, June 8th from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Bring water, sunscreen, and bug repellent. Meet at the Visitor's Center. Experience an evening of peace and serenity on Griffey Lake during the full moon on Friday, June 9th from 9 to 10.30 p.m. for a night paddle. Navigate the lake, take deep breaths of fresh air, and watch the night sky light up the water. Watercraft, paddles, and life jackets will be provided. Please register by June 8th at bloomington.in.gov parks. Learn how you can best protect Indiana State Forests at the Indiana State Forest Organizing Summit on Sunday, June 11th from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Hotel Indigo Columbus Architectural Center located at 400 Brown Street in Columbus, Indiana. This is your chance to collaborate with like-minded Hoosiers to develop an effective strategy to influence decision makers to protect Indiana State Forests. Contact Samantha at indianaforestalliance.org or call 317-602-3692. That wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's news stories were written by Linda Green, Norm Holy, Joe Crawford, and Maggie Bowie. Norm Holy produced the feature. Rebecca Mueller edited the script. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. And our executive producer and engineer is Joe Crawford. For WFHB, I'm David Lyman. And I'm Juliana Daly. Join us on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. before Democracy Now! and on Fridays at 5 p.m. before Kite Line for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news and resistance. Until then, Eco Report encourages you to take direct action to defend the Earth. 
You've been listening to The Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.